Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Simon Anthony and Torty Talks. I don't know how long it really has been, but I'm pretty sure my failing memory is not entirely inaccurate when I say I moved to Nottingham in 1988. Almost on day one, a letter, well, you know, uh, uh, an advertising leaflet from the Green Party came through the letterbox. And it was from a woman by the name of Sue Blount. And she was saying, vote for me as MP for Rushcliffe. Ken Clark had been the MP for Rushcliffe for about a decade at that point, And it didn't look as if he was likely to be unseated any time soon. Indeed, he wasn't, certainly not by a green, but it was worth a go. I, being a young and and, uh, environmentally increasingly aware person, decided to join the Green Party, and so I did. Shortly after, we moved to Lady Bay in Nottinghamshire, in Rushcliffe, and I met Sue and joined the local party and started working to prevent the fourth Trent crossing. It took 20 years before we did manage to stop the local uh, uh, planning department's plans to build a large bridge across the Trent at Lady Bay. There was no point at the bridge because traffic had nowhere to go in the town centre area and nowhere to come from on the other side of the river. It was um, all a a cunning plan to uh, leave a memorial to uh, the planning person who'd thought it up. Uh, was the best answer that we could come up with. It involved building on floodplain, which I continually said was a very bad idea because a floodplain is a thing that floods when it rains, which it did in the year 2000. It flooded a lot, so much so that we got water in the cellar of our house, which wasn't far away. Uh, It had come up through the water table and unfortunately it destroyed quite a number of my tape recordings. The tape recorders, my tape recordings were elsewhere. But it destroyed photographs and generally made things damp and icky. I have a strong memory of my fridge, well a fridge, floating in the cellar and humming because it was still on. I managed to fish it out without sudden death or indeed a gentle tingle and uh, all was wellish apart from the aforementioned damage and in 1992 I stood for Parliament myself. I stood against Kenneth Clark. Sue hadn't managed to dent his majority and nor did I but um, the experience of of, uh, standing against I can't remember if he was the Home Secretary or the Minister of Health or if he was in transition between the two, but uh, it was a surreal experience. I remember being introduced to uh, the great MP. I think he was father of the house even then. 
he had a, an aide-de-camp with him who, to my mind, uh, appeared to be a very large, besuited sparrow, a hunched creature with beady eyes. <laughs> and uh, he, his job was to make me feel intimidated. He made me laugh, and it was extremely difficult to not do so in close proximity. Why on earth the ruling Conservative Party was so terrified by the prospect of a Green standing against them, I do not know. But they tried psychological tricks upon tricks to uh, dispirit me and put me off my guard. For example, they made absolutely sure that my uh, supporters would be at the very back of the hall and that their supporters would have two or three rows, I can't remember, absolutely, in front of me at the hustings. I knew that they were um, Conservative Party members because they looked exactly like the row of um, old ladies in the Monty Python film clip of people sitting in a hall and applauding randomly. They literally were blue rinsed ladies. Uh, three rows of them. None on Kenneth Clark's side of uh, the hall, directly in front of me. It was arranged, it was controlled by the minister. <laughs> yes, bizarre, extraordinary. Vaguely excruciating. <laughs> I did my best. I, I, uh, I answered questions. I was brave. I, I uh, didn't duck issues, which every other person on the on the platform did, and um, I got some rather negative feedback from the auditorium. Um, I also, in that uh, period. Uh, visited schools and spoke uh, to large numbers of school children. They were much more receptive. Indeed, um, for quite a number of years, decades indeed afterwards, I was occasionally visited or spoken to by one of the members of the audience who remembered what I'd said. I think, cool, yeah, oh, oh, that's all right pleased about that. I, I mean, they remembered it positively rather than, cool, the rubbish you came out with then. But no, it was all positive. This was an indication that although the path was long and the climb was steep, we had begun to ascend. It's a very, very slow task. My parents had taken 20 years to fight a redevelopment and work for uh, a better redevelopment of the centre of Ealing. This also took 20 years. So, so the first 40 years of my life, <laughs> I was campaigning against one thing and for another. <laughs> hmm. So, uh, that was quite extraordinary. After the uh, election, uh, when I lost my deposit, I went into a bit of a downer for six months. Hmm. I was let out of my self-imposed mental exile when I went to a meeting hosted by Satish Kumar, uh, the editor of the Ecology magazine. 
wonderfully spiritual person. I didn't think I was particularly spiritual, but he helped, I think, just by sort of being there and me being there too. There is evidence that I had tried. I've still still got various bits of paper back from 1992. And incredibly, the BBC did a, a bite-back programme, a television programme hosted by Julian Pettifer, uh, which was all about the way the BBC had covered the, uh, the general election on the telly. Following that, was a an audience discussion about uh, the the political side of the coverage, and I had been invited as as a Green Party candidate to um, uh, my views, and incredibly, of all the bite back programs the BBC has got, that one survives and is online. I mean, both halves of the programme are fascinating. I'm only in the second, but uh, I worked at the BBC. Uh, I had worked at the BBC, and so the first half was was, uh, equally interesting to me. Second half shows me with long hair. The only letter I got from a constituency member was one about my long hair saying that I really wouldn't be accepted as a potential candidate if I had long hair and probably sandals. Well, I had both, but I don't think I wore sandals in public. Uh, At least certainly not on the hustings. It was an extraordinary experience. After I recovered, it took me quite some time, but in 2005, I tried standing again. But... Between those periods, I also stood as one of the eight people who attempted to get elected to the European Parliament. And on several occasions, I stood to become a councillor for Rushcliffe Borough Council. The first time I stood, the very first time I stood, I stood with Sue, as she was then, Blount. Sue got elected! She has remained elected. Yesterday, I learned that after a further 20 years of staying in as an elected member, of of actually marrying somebody else who also became an elected member, the Green Council of Rushcliffe, she is now Lady Mayoress. This is further evidence of the extraordinary changes that are happening. It's a long, slow process and the steps are so minuscule you can barely detect them, but they add up. It happens. It's a slow process that is glacial, but just as dramatic as an ice age when it hits. It is in the process of hitting. The evidence of the accuracy of the reasons we have been campaigning all these decades is borne out by the uh, incredible power of, of COVID that I'm suffering from, or I'm having a brief window of intelligence from uh, as I speak. If it were not for the COVID outbreak, there would not have been the unifying 
reset conditions that are essential to make everybody stop and think again and rebuild better and move ourselves on to where we should be. This is incredibly hopeful, incredibly positive, despite, possibly because of the great costs that everybody has suffered of coping with the COVID lockdown. So colossal, so dramatic, so worldwide that people are talking about universal basic income. Something I stood on the 1992 election campaign pushing forward and was, I wasn't even laughed at, I was totally ignored. Laughter came a bit later. Then start, people started being angry about it and lo and behold, now they're all saying what a good idea it is. That has taken all that time. It's, it's really quite unbelievable that we are in a position where people know what universal basic income is and saying, oh, no, impossible, no, 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 no. But they know what it is. They're talking about it. And we've got the process of, of laughing, being angry, then accepting for just this little point. My uncle told me <laughs> at the funeral of my grandmother that large companies could not possibly do anything environmentally progressive because to do so would increase their costs and make them liable to attack from other parts of the industry. Anyone who went first would weaken themselves, be damaged and die. The only way any large industry could possibly do anything environmental would be if everybody all of a sudden had to do the job at the same time. All the industries have known that this time would come. I don't think any of them suspected, even I did not expect that it would come because of a pandemic, a planetary shutdown. But that has happened. And now we are in a position, the first time this has happened in our um, technological world and we've got the opportunity to actually make the changes necessary to survive. <laughs> yeah, put it as simply as that. We can't carry on doing things the way we were because we, well, you know, I don't need to say it anymore. Everybody knows now. During the lockdown, we saw the skies go blue. We heard the birds and the animals turning up in various different places. We saw rivers run clear. We could breathe better, well, unless you had COVID. So much of nature got so much better so quickly. It's incredible. And psychologically, people were at home with out jobs, but with just about enough money to survive, basically basic income, and we're realizing that 
Life does not revolve, does not have to revolve, should not revolve around a job. People had to consider who they were to fill their times with things they wanted to do. People for the first time had time to be able to make, to have that thought and then think about it and then come up with an answer and then still have time to do something about it. This has never happened before. Normally people have to wait until they retire before they can do that or until they've made themselves immensely rich. But this is an opportunity for the past three months. Everyone who hasn't been physically ill or having to uh, figure out how to keep the kids entertained or uh, scared witness about losing their jobs or uh, everything else. Oh, and that's a lot of people, including me. A large number of people have had the opportunity to think about other things and are making choices that are different but are now possible to make. As anyone who has listened to any of these talks knows full well, my understanding and appreciation of the efforts that the NHS has put into keeping things going and the huge numbers of people who operate the service industries, I have mentioned at some considerable length I'm going to go and have a scan again in a minute to find out about my circumstances. I shall report back. This is dramatically wonderful and I am delighted by it. And that's enough for now. That was one in a series of Torty Talks by Simon Anthony, acting at torty.org.uk.